If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're seeing a kind of frightening trend in the coronavirus across the nation and in Ohio, and that's the first topic we'll be talking about on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Jane Cahoon and Laura Johnston. I can't believe it's only Wednesday. It feels like we should be ending the week. I'm so with you. It is only Wednesday. And just be like, it's a beautiful day. We're done. Then go ahead. That's the way I feel. Let's just call it. It's Friday. We're done after the podcast. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Let's begin. Is Rich Exner seeing any change in what he saw last week regarding the plateau of Ohio coronavirus cases? Have they stopped going down? Jane Cahoon, it's disturbing what we're seeing, and I, I'm having a hard time understanding it because so much of the population is getting vaccinated. You would think that that would stall some of the problems, but it doesn't appear to be. Correct. They have stopped going down, to answer your question. And in fact, according to Rich's latest weekly deep dive that he does into the data, newly reported cases and hospitalizations both have continued nearly flat for a second straight week. This was after, you know, sharp reductions that we saw during January and February. And this is despite an increase in vaccinations across the state. We actually saw a slight uptick in the weekly total of cases from last Monday to this past Monday. Is that the number that everything depends on the week? No, 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 no. This is just the the whole total of cases. Rich usually on Mondays when he does this um data post, he totals up the the cases, you know, week by week and compares them. So this past Monday, we had 10,854, but the previous week we had 10,615. So it was a little less. And then before that, 10,851. So that, that weekly figure this week was a little bit higher than the previous two weeks. And hospitalizations that, that had really declined after this rapid spike we had in in the fall to over 5,000. Now they've leveled off to like just under 1,000. Uh, we had 854 on Monday, you know, 914 a week ago, 1,400, you know, a month ago. But anyway, so that's that's pretty much leveled off as well. But I'd like to share with you something we haven't yet reported. The number you just asked about, the this metric that Governor Mike DeWine's watching and, and the, the measurement he says he's going to use to determine whether to lift his coronavirus orders, and that's the cases per 100,000 people statewide with an onset of symptoms over a two-week period. DeWine wants that number to go down to 50, and Rich has really been watching this number and uh, predicting each week you know, what they're going to announce on, on Thursdays. The number has steadily dropped from like 179.6 cases per 100,000 three weeks ago when DeWine first you know, said this is the measurement he's going to use. Then 155 two weeks ago and 143.8 last Thursday. So it's steadily been going down. People have something to hope for. Well, you know, Rich is waiting to see today's numbers before making his final prediction. But as of yesterday, that number looked like it actually is inching back up to a little over 
145. This is just going to really depress people. You know, the fact that we're taking this small step backward toward DeWine's goal. There's a couple of things I'm wondering about. We talked in January and February that with the variants coming from other parts of the world that are much more contagious, much more deadly, that we would be in a race against that with vaccinations. The faster we get people vaccinated, the faster you can get that in abeyance, but that those variants, because they're so much more contagious, could outpace us. But but I, I still have been looking at this. I mean, a huge percentage of the population is starting to get vaccinated. I think it was 87 million Americans was the number I saw. We know Ohioans are. And so right. now what I'm wondering is, is this the anti-mask Trump follower? Are they the ones that are getting the infection? We know because of Mike DeWine's strategy in Ohio that a lot of the most vulnerable people, the older people, have been vaccinated. And so that's where the coronavirus originally spread. So if they're not getting it, and they're not, we know the nursing home numbers are way down and we see other signs of it. You got to wonder where is the spread happening? And I suspect this is with the people that refuse to wear masks and they they didn't follow the precautions. This variant is way more contagious, so it's much more likely they would get it. I, I'd love to find the answer to this because it's it's confusing that we have it happening at the same time so many people are vaccinated. I mean, pretty much everybody you all know is in is in the middle of being vaccinated, right? Right, right. in the middle, right? And and obviously it takes you a couple of weeks. This is Laura Johnston. It takes you a couple of weeks even to get any immunity. And then, you know, anyone who's not getting the J&J needs to get another shot and then wait another two weeks. So I was just wondering, do people not realize that once they get the shot, like it takes weeks to really get vaccinated and they're kind of throwing caution to the wind? We did a story a couple weeks ago, Cameron Fields did, on this rise and fall because we've seen a couple bumps, you know, over the years, the surges in the falls. And that experts say the people can only follow the rules for so long, for a couple of months before they get tired and the numbers are going down and they say, oh, it's getting way better. I don't have to be as concerned about it. And we were going back and forth this morning about this, some reporters in our newsroom. And obviously, you still have to wear a mask in public places. Those aren't being relaxed. But maybe more people are just gathering together in their own homes without masks. And they're thinking, you know, it's just like last summer when the numbers were depressed. But I'm not buying that, Laura. I'm just not buying it. I don't see any evidence of that. I, I think, I mean, that's just, I, I don't see it. I, I, I also don't think we're seeing people getting infected after they get the first shot. We've seen some anecdotal stories about it because it's still so newsworthy when it happens. Mm-hmm. I get it. There might be some more weddings and things that might be going on. But when you're out and about, people are wearing masks in the grocery store. People are still taking the precautions. I, I well, have, you know, we are sort of in a little bubble in a way. I think there are parts of Ohio where people have not been following the rules all along, judging when you hear some of the Republican lawmakers talking, you know, the guy who says he never shut down his deli or whatever, his cafe. And and, you know, I've never worn a mask. And, you know, so maybe it's it's a case where a lot of places in Ohio haven't been abiding by the rules. And now these variants are out there and they're they're succumbing. I think that's what that for me that look, we were speculating. We have no idea. But that's the most likely scenario is that the people that didn't get it before who weren't taking precautions because they may not have been as easily exposed are getting exposed now to a much more contagious version. They did say 
in the governor's briefing Monday that they are seeing the the UK variant in Ohio now. Uh, and, you know, and there's a lag in that. It, you don't always see that until it's been around a little while. So it's probably worse than they're seeing. It's frightening, though. And, and I'm just so glad I'm in the path to vaccination. I'm on day eight. And for the Pfizer, that's when you start to have the protection. That's the very beginning is between day eight and day, eight and day 10. And I just you wanted to counting get, every day. I was, man. <laughs> I, I, I want to be through with this as soon as possible. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What happened to those guys who were arrested in the May 30th Cleveland riot who had texted about their plans to participate in a riot? Laura Johnston, we talked about this a month or so ago when a judge threw out the text messages as evidence against them because the police actually had no probable cause to stop them. But they were still facing pretty serious felony charges. What's the latest? Well, it all revolves around that probable cause and the fact that the prosecutors can't use what they found in that SUV, those uh, those phones with the text messages. So the case is dropped. And this is a big disappointment for law enforcement because they showed everybody, hey, we're going to prosecute the bad guys from this riot. They had a press conference to announce the, the arrest. They said they're going to take this very aggressive stance against anyone who damaged private and public property. But the way that they were arrested, they were arrested for violating the curfew order. And defense attorneys argued that was a non-existent crime, that Mayor Frank Jackson's order did not establish a criminal defense. And uh, what they found, though, when they arrested them was pretty scary. They were stopped at 11.55 p.m. in an SUV parked the wrong way. They came to Cleveland with a fire starter, spray paint, and a forty-five caliber Glock. And and they had texted about <laughs> said, they I'm were going, going to Cleveland to riot. That yeah. was a direct text. Yeah, it's I mean, look, the rules, you have to follow the rules. The police have to follow the rules. If they don't follow the rules, then then we're all liable to be mistreated and, and prosecuted unfairly. So the judge is doing the right thing. But these guys came to Cleveland to riot and they're getting away with it. It's a it's a it's a surprising turn of events, given where we were last summer. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Arthur Keith was shot to death by police as children outside the King Kennedy Boys and Girls Club watched. And on Saturday, we will have a special bonus episode, a very special episode of this podcast. Reporter Olivia Mitchell spent time talking to these children. It's powerful stuff. People on our staff that have listened to it have had tears in their eyes. Here's how it begins. For those people who don't know Arthur Keith, what would you want to tell the world about him? He was in the streets, but he was a good person. And he didn't deserve what he got. So whatever he, what the police have done, they deserve to be punished for that because no man deserves to be gunned down. And that's against the law to gun a man down like that. Riveting stuff. Come back Saturday. Hear Olivia Mitchell's interviews with these children. Here's an easy one, Jane Cahoon. How much is the Wolstein Center mass vaccination project costing U.S. taxpayers? I've been there. Laura's been there. We all know lots of people have been there. Now we know what we're costing. Yeah, it's over 8.7 million bucks in in costs related to uh, getting this mass vaccination site going at the Wolstein Center. FEMA announced this on Tuesday. They called it an advance payment for the cost of this thing. And you know, as we know, we have all sorts of National Guard and military members from across the state and, and the nation, in fact, including the 101st Airborne Division serving there. So FEMA has thrown a lot into it. 
you know, Mike DeWine said this has really been a game changer in terms of vaccine accessibility. You know, it's easy for people to get to. And as you said, you guys have been there. All the reports say that things are going really well. They're vaccinating thousands of people a day. So well, a good thing. I would argue that that's not a high cost for saving more than 100,000 lives. That's, yeah, how could that's, you even put a price tag on that, right? right. I mean, the, the government. this is a good use of government money to protect the citizenry from this this scourge. So, I, I mean, it's it's a lot of money, but this is one where I, I bet everybody that goes down there saying, yeah, fine by me, good use of my tax. I, I have a quick question. This is Laura Johnston. I, you know, they take your insurance information. So do they bill my insurance for that? Like, do they get any of that money back from my insurance? They get a little. I, I the The note that they put on the screen when I registered said, they will seek reimbursement for some portion of it from the insurance companies. And if you don't have insurance, you get it anyway. They just don't get reimbursed. So good question. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How significant was the milestone yesterday in the long-running effort to connect our growing network of bike trails, which goes all the way down into Summit County, all the way to Lake Erie? And for the answer to this, we turn to our very own Lady of the Lake, Laura Johnson. I was really excited about this. I mean, I grew up biking on the towpath in the National Park. And for the first time, we can see the end of the towpath. This is going to, this summer, connect Lake Erie all the way down to New Philadelphia. That's 101 miles that you can bike straight on a path off the road. And that's pretty awesome. So Steve Litt did a great story on this yesterday. We have fabulous photos of sections of bridge being lifted into place. It's going to take about a month to do this. It's a 14 foot wide bridge, measures 500 feet long, and it goes over those Norfolk Southern rail lines that bisect Whiskey Island. Because if you think about it, if you go to like Wendy Park off of Edgewater, you're only going on one small sliver of Whiskey Island. The other side of it is where there are the rail lines, there's the salt mines, and it's really industrial. So this is going to connect people to the mainland without having to go on that narrow strip of road past the wastewater treatment plant and the port dock. So it's really exciting for people who who love to get out and bike. It's also such a symbolic thing, right? We've talked for years about how we're so disconnected from Mm -hmm. the lake, our biggest natural resource. You know, a half of the downtown lakefront is, is an airport that hardly anybody uses. So to have a way to get to the lakefront on your bike easily, it's just a, it's a symbolic thing. We're connecting our community to it. It's something you could really sell to all those mobile young adults who are moving to Cleveland because they don't have to work in New York City anymore, as we discussed earlier in the week. Absolutely. I just want to put in a plug for John Panna, our videographer, who has done incredible videos of tons of bike paths toward around Cleveland and, and will show you how to get from one place to another. So if you're interested in biking this summer, check out John Panna's videos and uh, you'll be astounded at what we have to offer in Cleveland. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How sticky are Summit County elections officials making things for Secretary of State Frank LaRose and his decision to block the reappointment of the Board of Elections chairman? Laura Johnston, this is a hot controversy down there. It is, and it it just seems to be growing. So the Secretary of State Frank LaRose and his elections director, Amanda Grandjean, have to be deposed by lawyers for the Summit County Republican Party's executive committee. This is what the Supreme Court ruled. They gave them time limits on the questioning sessions. And I believe that LaRose gets to pick where he's going to be deposed. 
But this this seems like a big deal. Summit County is going to be allowed up to two hours for La Rose, up to one hour for Grand Jean, and then they can go back for another 30 minutes or 15 minutes examination if needed. This all relates to that stinging letter that LaRose wrote about the Board of Elections. We talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, saying that they could have disenfranchised voters. There were a ton of problems with the board and they put it under state oversight. They kicked the director out. That director claims that LaRose has a personal vendetta against him, all stemming back to supporting a different opponent in a primary race for secretary of state. So this seems like a really heated battle and they're going to get to depose him about it. But who ultimately decides whether LaRose gets overruled? Is it the Supreme Court? I think so at this point, because that's what happened back in 2008. It was a very similar situation where uh, Secretary of State Jennifer Bruner kicked off Alex Arshinkoff, put a new person on, and then Arshinkoff ended up back on after they sued. And I believe that was the Supreme Court that decided that. Okay. It'll be interesting to see. I want to get a copy of that deposition. (laughs) (laughs) I know. This is a real, this is Jane Cahoon. This is a real, like, Republican food fight, isn't it? I mean, before with Jennifer Bruner, she was a Democrat and Arshnikov was Republican. And this time it's like, boy, they're really throwing mud at each other, aren't they? Food fight is a really good way to (laughs) describe it. But I also think that that takes away the criticism of the motive of being a party squabble. You could argue that Frank LaRose has made the brave move of dealing with a troublesome Republican in Summit County to try and protect the voters. And it's not party politics that's driving it. What other motive would he have here except to do the right thing? But then why does he fear being deposed? Like if you've got all of your ducks in a row and you can say, here's why this is a problem in Summit County and here's all my reasoning. I don't understand why you would be afraid to be deposed unless they're going to start asking other questions. Have you ever been deposed? Yes, I have been. It is not a pleasant experience. No, it's not a pleasant experience. But yeah, they're they're claiming it's all a personal vendetta. What will be interesting if the questions get about like, you know, his Dropbox uh, rulings and everything that could be. Oh, that would be interesting. I uh, doubt they will either. But I want to read it when it's available. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What did President Joe Biden have to say during his visit to Ohio on Tuesday, his first since he took office? Jen Cahoon, I was kind of hoping there'd be some surprise in this. It was pretty much boring. It was pretty much as we expected. Yeah, no surprises. Biden touted the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that he recently signed. He took a tour of the Ohio State University James Cancer Research and Treatment Center, and then he spoke for about 15 minutes to a small group of invited guests in the media. It wasn't a public appearance. And he recounted his administration's progress in in overseeing the delivery of the COVID-19 vaccines to more than 100 million Americans and including, you know, almost 3 million Ohioans who have gotten at least one dose. He urged Americans to get vaccines. He said it was part of their patriotic duty. He also used this healthcare backdrop to plug portions of this rescue bill that temporarily boosts subsidies for Obamacare health plans. You know, this includes broadening eligibility for for this program. And then he talked about, of course, the $1,400 direct, direct payment that people are getting It just happened to be the anniversary of the Affordable Care Act being signed into law 11 years ago by um, President Barack Obama when Biden was the vice president, which at the time, you might recall, he called a big 
mm-hmm. deal. And uh, he used a little expletive there. But so, yeah, he talked about a lot about Obamacare. And as we expected, also, Republicans heaped scorn on him for making this trip. And Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Paduchik called the appearance a public relations stunt. And, and he said he should be <laughs> spending his time dealing with the crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. And Senator Rob Portman on his call with reporters kind of weighed in and while he said, you know, be, the James Cancer Center is fantastic, you know, great to draw attention to that. But but he thinks these Obamacare enhancements are are going to increase subsidies for people like way above the poverty line. He thinks it's, you know, everybody, all the Republicans in Congress think the bill is too fat. The Republicans keep trying to go by the Trump era playbook, but they're not landing the blows that they had before. You just don't have they're trying. You're getting that fire in the scornful way that the press releases read, but it's not catching any fire. They're just not getting anywhere. They keep trying to make the border thing like the scandal right. of all time. And I, it, you just get the feeling that America is sick of that stuff yeah. and wants to move on. And it, Well, there's a big reason they're trying to do that. And that's because this American Rescue Plan is quite popular with the general public. We've said that before, you know, people on both sides of the aisle, the public, that is not uh, Congress, which we know, you know, it didn't get a single Republican vote. But, uh, you know, so they don't want to draw attention to something that the American public largely supports. It's look, the future will tell, but it's a gamble. If they would have embraced this and worked with the Democrats to do it and showed some party unity, they, they might have found a, a more receptive America. But if they keep trying to return to the four miserable years of the Trump rhetoric, America may be sick of it and say, nope, nope, we kind of like the way it's going. We'll have to see. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's the going rate for paying a Cuyahoga County jail guard to take marijuana to an inmate to sell to other inmates? Lord Johnston, they have a drug problem in the jail and jail guard not making it any better. No, apparently this isn't overly expensive to smuggle drugs in the jail. It's about $425, apparently. Terrell Greer is the guard who was fired on December 24th after he was on the job only five months. He admitted to county investigators, according to documents, that he agreed to bring the drugs in for an inmate who's charged with a violent home invasion. But there are no criminal charges filed against him or the inmate who orchestrated the deal or the woman who paid Greer and handed the drugs to him in an alley a block away from the jail. What's interesting about this is that Greer's confession cannot be used against him in any criminal proceeding because he submitted to a Garrity interview, and that protects public employees from being charged after giving truthful interviews in disciplinary matters. Okay, it does seem like you should be able to get a handle on this, that that you could either check guards as they go in. There's there's just got to be a way of stopping the staff from taking the drugs into the into the jail. Uh, the penalties apparently aren't enough to stop it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's the story on Northeast Ohio home sales? Are they still in the stratosphere or have people lost their interest in home buying? Oh, no one is losing their interest in home buying right now. They are. There are slightly fewer sales this February compared to last February, but that's not because people don't want to buy. It's because nobody's putting their house on the market. So statewide, there are about 9,366 homes sold this February. That's a drop of 0.6% from the same month in 2020, down a little bit, like about 20 homes from January. Prices are up yet. 
though, and realtors point to this as proof of the unending demand, but a smaller supply. So in average, in February, the cost of a house in Ohio was $209,945. That's up 12% from February 2020. And in Cuyahoga County, we are seeing the smaller number of listings, about 1,300 this past February compared to 1,466 last February. But we're, we're selling more homes than ever. So 1,040 homes sold last month compared to 972 in February 2020. So fewer homes on the market, but more homes are selling and they're selling for more expensive prices. And if you know anybody who's trying to buy a house, they will tell you how incredibly difficult it is and how high the prices are and how they're losing out. So with the pandemic, people just want to have their own space and uh, it's difficult to find. Yeah, the houses in my neighborhood that go up sell almost immediately for numbers that I just can't fathom, but the prices are very high. I have a question. Do you guys think this is going to have an effect on, you know, we were just talking about the news the other day about more people deciding to live here, but could this be a big barrier? That's a really good question, Jane. The thing is, our housing prices are so reasonable compared to a lot of the country that if people are moving here from New York or Washington, D.C., or even Chicago, they're going to be like, wow, you get a lot for your money. So they're probably not going to have a problem overpaying and you know, being the bidder that wins. I think it's the people here who have been saving up and looking forward to getting a house and are just getting beat out you know, by price competition. So, but it could, I mean, we could get to the point where people are like, it's too hard to find a house there, but I think it's happening everywhere. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law are trying to buy in Chicago and they just said, okay, we're going to stop because this is insane. Good point. Good question. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. That'll do it for the podcast. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. 